In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And amen. You may be seated. We gather on this day to celebrate the truth that the word Trinity embodies. The fact that God is one and three at the same time. Now, I have a friend in ministry. He says he doesn't like to use the word Trinity because it's not in the Bible. I'm going like, well, you know, there are lots of good words that only get manufactured because they're needed to express new realities or old realities that have become new. Uh, think about, you know, in the, eight, in the 1700s, did the word automobile exist? Automobile. Those come together because, well, they have to to express this new reality. How about airplane? Airplane. Airplane. They didn't know what that was in the 17th century. Now, I don't know, Leonardo da Vinci might have, you know, envisioned something like that. How about washing machine? When we don't have to take our clothes down to the river and beat them against the rocks, we have these machines that we put our wash in. Real romantic term, washing machine. Or laundromat. How about, you know, you have to do something to describe the wonder of what happens when you build a, um, when you build a um, Empire State Building. It scrapes the sky. So you've got a skyscraper. Or like in our day, just word after word in the communications revolution, internet, Wikipedia, EV, AI. Look, yeah, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. But in the late 100s, in the early 200s, after a century and a half of reflection, the church leading the charge as the North African theologian and pastor Tertullian, the church found itself forced to invent a word to crystallize an astounding cluster of truths, affirming ancient and even eternal truths from the Bible that had come to light since the incarnation, since God had become a human, and Pentecost, when God took up residence within us. And so there's this... Um, simplified collection of, of ideas. Three, there is one and only one God, always has been, still is, the Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Him alone shall you worship. And he says, my glory I will share with no other. So there is one and only one being who is God. And yet, People who are profoundly committed to that truth found themselves confessing that there's, there's a thickness and there's a richness to this one God. There are three persons who are God. The end of our Matthew 28 reading today, baptizing in the singular name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The Son is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Your sins are forgiven, he says. Rise and take up your pallet and walk. And even Jesus' opponents knew that this was a claim to be God, the power to forgive sins. 
The Son of Man, he says of himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. In him, says Paul, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And by him, by him, and for him, all things were created, Colossians 1, 18. And the Spirit is God. Father's God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. Where can I go from your spirit, David acknowledged? That is from your presence. Psalm 139, verse 7. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is, there is freedom, says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And not only is there one God only, and there are three persons to this God, but and this the third point is, not to be too subtle about it, but this is important. Each is a distinct person. 2 Corinthians 13 that we read, each offers a gift, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Each has a gift, each has a role, because the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Father, and you can go all the way around. And the point here is, God's not a shapeshifter. It's not like from Terminator 2, where he can just, just take on whatever. Or, he, or he's not a mask putter on her. One day the Father, the next day the Son, the next day the Holy Spirit, with an unpredictable, arbitrary fluidity of person. You can't have a relationship with a shapeshifter or a mask putter on her. It's really important that we know who it is that we're relating to. And today's passage in Genesis throws marvelous light on God's singular being and threefold person. Just think about the, the loveliness of the architecture. He had days one, two, and three, four, five, and six. And I think Dorothy Sayers would ask us to imagine the great designer and the architect as the father overall. And the son is the one who gets it done. And the spirit is the energy or the power that gets it done. Consider the beauty of this process. God creates a context and then fills it. In day one, the creation of the context of light and dark, verses one through five that we read. Then coming back on day four, filling the light with the sun, S-U-N, and to fill the dark with the moon. So the Father's design, the sun's implementation, the Spirit's power. Day two, separating water above so that there can be sky from water below so there can be ocean chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, and then coming back on day 5, putting birds in the air, and creatures in the sea, filling the context. Day 3, from the seas, drawing together land masses with vegetation, verses 9 through 13, and then coming back on day 6 to place living creatures on the land and to crown the whole thing with humans. Everything else had been good, but this was very good. And you can just imagine the divine tribunal saying, that's some good work. That's some very good work. There are two telling phrases throughout this narrative. One is repeated over and over again, let there be. And the other is, let us make. Now, let there be. Like, who's God talking to? You know, when Mrs. Kidd gets on the computer, and especially when she starts working Photoshop, and she's got skills, but sometimes she's got to dig pretty deep. I've got to be sure that I'm listening because sometimes she's talking to me 
I want you to go do this and I want you to go do that. Well, no, she never talks like that. But sometimes she talks to the computer screen like that. No, not that. That's not what I want. I want you to. And I have to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you talking to me? Or are you talking to the screen? God isn't just talking to a screen. It's his breath that is the spirit of God himself that is speaking. And it's to the son. He's saying, let this happen and let that happen so that we can step back and look at it. The wind, the breath, the spirit. Now, the NRSV, I think, sadly, translates a wind was blowing. But the word wind there is it's the same word for spirit. It's, it's the same word for breath. And when God breathes in, in chapter 2, into the human, and the human becomes a, an, into, the, into this piece of dirt, and the dirt becomes a living being, it's that, it's that the presence of God and this, the spirit is, this is not like this just wind blowing. It's like the spirit hovering over the chaotic earth. The same way the spirit hovered over Jesus at his baptism. God's let there be is his own breath, his spirit, his ruach, ordering complexity into being where there is chaos or nothingness. But wait, there's more. John says all things came to be by the word, the one who would be one day become flesh. So John sees Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, instrumental in, in uh, exercising the Father's design. Paul agrees that the Son was not only there at the beginning, but he was the one through whom the Father created. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all things exist. How you get from day one to day four, day two to day five, day three to day six. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. And the whole creative venture is cooperative. God's not just talking to his computer screen. By his spirit, he's breathing reality into being. And the sun is doing the heavy lifting. And so the let, let there be points to a cooperative process at the heart of the reality that we experience. But also there's the let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them to be in loving relationship with one another because we are in loving relationship with each other. The cooperation between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit grows out of a deep love and affection that just has to share and has to grow and expand to bring others into the circle of affection. The Trinity says at the heart of reality is an eternal communion of cooperation and love. And I offer just three, three takeaways. One, a spirit of cooperation echoing that within the Godhead. I can do it myself is the logic of hell. We can do it together is the logic of heaven. Now, Sherry and I have just downsized from a large house to like a little bungalow. It's really nice, but we can't fit all our stuff. And I share, as we were getting ready to go, ready to move, and we're both bookhounds, so it's really bad. 
So Sherry sold a bunch of books. I sold like 13 boxes of books. And we still don't have room. And the place that we moved into does not have like a lot of closet space. So in the last three weeks or so, Sherry and I have done nine Ikea projects. Nine Ikea projects. How many of you have done Ikea projects? How many of you bought Ikea projects and said, let somebody else do it? They're the smart people in the room. No. So what we decided to do was take the Ikea projects as bonding experiences. Where we realized that we can do together something better than if we did them alone. Now, we both have different ways of reading these drawings, you know, might have something to do with the fact that I'm looking at them upside down because she's got them in front of her. Or it might just be that we have different styles of going about things, but we were committed to getting this job done together. So the basic line was, yes, ma'am, that's exactly what we're going to do. And then every once in a while, I'd have to walk out of the room for a minute and then, and then come back. But the logic of hell is I can do this on my own the logic of heaven is we can do this together. And it's going to be better because we did it. And so it's been a bonding experience. Then you figure out what that has to do with you. No, we're not coming over to your house and we're not putting IKEA stuff together. Second, love. The Trinity teaches us that at the bottom of all that is, there is love. Not the cold, fake love of splendid isolation that deigns to spend time with inferiors, but love that flows from an eternal pattern of mutual affection and deference. Not a dysfunctional compensation for loneliness, but the overflow of warm fondness that's the world into which each one of us was created and designed. And the fact that it doesn't work that way is just because God's in the business of making it that way again. Those who confess the Trinity confess, as G.K. Chesterton once said, that God is a family and a family that keeps wanting to expand Trinitarian love doesn't keep to itself and doesn't keep its good stuff to itself. And I invite you to reflect on what that means for you. And then third, worship. So cooperation, love, and worship. The, the historian of theology, which is its own di weird discipline, how theological ideas emerge over time. The theologian of the, histori the historian of theology, Yaroslav Pelikan, once observed that the only reason our early fathers and mothers in the faith could formulate such rich truths as that of the Trinity is because it was in the first place their language of worship. They had learned to pray to one God and to Jesus, the Son, to God the Father, and to the Holy Spirit, and by the Holy Spirit. They thought deeply 
because they worshiped deeply. And there are cautionary words for us. If we worship shallowly, and I know y'all are thinking about other people when I say that, if we worship shallowly, we will think shallowly. And we won't have answers for complex questions. We'll only have Bible bullets to fire at enemies. Lord, have mercy. If at the same time, we're surrounded by rich, rich, deep truths that we've come to take for granted and our worship is rich, thoughtful, meaningful, and now you're thinking of yourselves, if we worship this way but do so mechanically, we'll think mechanically and condescendingly. Why can't these unwashed keep up? And we will be ourselves unworthy of the richness of the worship. And so the invitation is to worship deeply so that you can think deeply and to worship from the heart so that it will be from the heart. There are some truths that you more experience than understand and you experience them in worship and in loving relationships. The sun, that is S-U-N, the planet that's at the center of our solar system, you can't look at directly, but you know and experience its rays and its warmth. God's face, you don't get to look at directly, but the rays of his light come all the way to you in his sun, and the warmth of his love touches your heart by the Spirit, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, because of the love of God the Father. And that's why you come here. Or if you're online, that's why I know you want to come here. That's why you come here, for the bread and the wine, for the prayers and the word, for the embrace of the peace, for the way the Son and the Spirit for the way that the Son and the Spirit draw us into the bosom of the Father. May you, be embra- may you be blessed by the divine embrace of the Father who reaches to you through the Son and through the Spirit. And may you thrive in that embrace. Amen.